0: Hello, I'm Daryl Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. This is lesson 14 uh, in our study of the Gospel of John. And we pick up with uh, the first 17 verses of the 13th chapter. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This chapter begins on the Thursday following Palm Sunday. Jesus has been in Jerusalem throughout the week, although apparently retreating to Bethany each evening. John has omitted discussing what was going on during that week before Thursday, but those events are described in detail in the other Gospels. As John points out, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave the world. In other words, to be executed on the cross as a common criminal. John's emphasis is on how Jesus loved his own, his disciples and those who had followed him, all the way to the end. John also tells us Judas had succumbed to Satan's temptation to betray Jesus. Neither John nor any of the other gospel writers tell us why Judas decided to betray Jesus other than to say Satan entered him. Given the fact that Judas gave the money back to the office of the high priest after Jesus' crucifixion, it suggests that Judas may have become impatient because Jesus appeared unwilling to assume the role of the military messiah. Perhaps Judas was trying to force Jesus into assuming that role. Or perhaps he was just greedy, as indicated in chapter 12, where John mentioned that he used to pull for money from the common purse. Whatever the reason, Satan tempted him at his weakest point, and Judas surrendered to the temptation. There's a lesson for us in this. We, too, will be tempted in our weaknesses and we must rely on prayer and our faith in God to see us through such temptations. Judas did not do this, and his name has become the most loathsome in history. Beginning with verse 3, John describes Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. The context for this can be gleaned from the other Gospels. Although this is Thursday night rather than Friday night, Jesus Jesus and his disciples are nevertheless celebrating the Passover dinner. Whereas the Judean Jews celebrated Passover on Friday evening, the Jews of the Diaspora and the Galilean Jews observed it on Thursday night. This explains why the Jewish authorities wanted to get Jesus down from the cross before night fell on Friday so they would still be ritually pure to observe Passover. A new day began for the Jews at nightfall, so Passover began for the Judean Jews at nightfall on Friday, which would be the beginning of Saturday, just as the Galilean Jews would be celebrating Passover on Thursday evening at the beginning of Friday. So the events described in these verses are taking place at a Passover dinner, which we now call the Last Supper, and it's taking place on Thursday evening. John does not describe the introduction of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, by Jesus during the Passover meal, but begins by describing Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Luke gives us a detail that explains why Jesus did this. In Luke uh, chapter twenty two verse twenty four, he tells us that a dispute arose among the disciples as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You may remember that this has happened before. James and John's mother had approached Jesus with both of them in tow, asking that her sons would be the ones to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand in the royal court. In other words, she was asking that they have the highest positions. Once, Jesus set up his kingdom after overthrowing the Romans as they expected to happen. So this is the setting, they are celebrating the Passover meal in Jerusalem, where Jesus is a wanted man. Jesus has told them his hour had come, and that he would be leaving them soon. And yet, they are still arguing among themselves over who will be regarded as the greatest among them. It was not their finest hour, and it shows the degree to which they still fail to understand who Jesus was, and particularly what his mission was. Jesus had rebuked the disciples previously for such attitudes, but this time he decided to show them what he expected of them. As Jesus took off his robe and put a towel around him as a slave would, the disciples would have been aghast. He begins to wash their feet, which was a role reserved only for slaves or servants. They are too astonished and embarrassed to say anything as Jesus goes from one to the next, washing their feet just as a slave would. Keep in mind that Judas is still among the disciples at this time. He doesn't leave until later. So Jesus is is demonstrating humility, not only to those who honor him and believe in him, but also to his betrayer. No one says anything until Jesus gets to Peter. He is not about to let Jesus wash his feet, because Jesus is his master and Lord. He should be washing Jesus' feet. Jesus tells him he doesn't understand now, but will later. But Peter persists in his refusal. Only when Jesus tells Peter he can have no share in him unless he washes his feet, does Peter relent. And then he wants not just his feet washed, but his whole body. In other words, he asks for a bath. This is consistent with Peter's behavior throughout the Gospels. He's headstrong and impetuous and says what he feels. Sometimes before engaging his brain, but he was fully committed to Jesus. Beginning in verse 12, Jesus did something he didn't always do with the disciples. He explained what he had just done. The disciples did not yet get it that their role was not to lord it over one another or over other believers. Their role was to follow the example of their teacher, the one they had committed their lives to. Jesus explained, you call me Lord and teacher, and I am, so you should follow the example I have just set for you, and serve each other. He continues, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor messengers greater than the one who sent them. Follow my example, and you will be blessed. Although Jesus had not been able to get this message through to the disciples before now, this time his message which really was a living parable connected with them. There is no further reference in Scripture to the disciples ever arguing again over who would be the greatest. It's a lesson we should all remember. Service to God and service to one another in an attitude of humility, rather than position or accolades, are to be the measure of our devotion to God. We continue now with verses 18 through 30. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that, because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. John provides more details concerning Judas' betrayal than any other gospel. Jesus is clearly disturbed by the fact that one of the twelve he had personally chosen had already betrayed him. He announces that the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is a quote from Psalm 41 verse 9, and it's another prophecy being fulfilled. And Jesus tells the disciples, he is telling them this now so they will understand when it happens. Lifting one's heel to show someone the bottom of their foot was a means of showing disdain or betrayal in Semitic culture. When Jesus makes his announcement that one of them will betray him, the disciples are shocked, apparently having no idea whom Jesus was referring to. Had they known, Judas would not have left that room alive. Peter motions to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, to find out who Jesus is referring to. To understand what happened next, we must understand the seating arrangement at the Last Supper. John is reclining, as they all were, next to Jesus, on Jesus' right hand. They would recline on the left arm, so John's head would be close to Jesus. Judas was apparently next to Jesus, on Jesus' left. In Jewish culture, to be seated on the left was a place of high honor, the place of the close friend. So by placing him there, Jesus was appealing to Judas until the end. After John asks Jesus who it is that will betray him, he whispers to John, It is the one to whom he will give the bread after dipping it in the Passover dish of relish. Jesus then hands the bread to Judas, who is to Jesus' immediate left. As he does so, John whispers to us that Satan entered Judas. Note that Judas could have repented and abandoned his betrayal at at that very moment, But he chose not to, and Satan entered him. Seeing that, Jesus tells Judas to do quickly that which he was about to do. At that moment, Judas knows that Jesus knows what Judas has done and what he is about to do. So he gets up and leaves. The disciples still don't know what Jesus' statement about betrayal involves, and they just assume Jesus has sent Judas to buy provisions for them or to give a gift to the poor. Remember, one of the themes that runs throughout John's gospel is that of light and darkness. John tells us that as Judas went out, that it was night. Judas has just left the light of the world for the deepest darkness he could enter. Keep in mind that although it was God's will that Jesus should die a sacrificial death for all mankind, that does not negate the culpability of Judas' treachery. Judas' exchange with Judas uh, reminds us of something else. Some have asserted that the death of Jesus was the result of Jesus getting swept up in events that he was unable to control, and it was not intentional that he went to the cross But look at the events that have led him this far toward the cross. For some months, the Jewish leaders have wanted to arrest him. Following the resurrection of Lazarus, the highest court in the land is determined to kill him. Nevertheless, he returns to Jerusalem for Passover. Indeed, he enters in a highly public, royal-like entrance. Had he wanted to avoid death, he could have remained away from Jerusalem. At the Last Supper, he could have called out Judas to the disciples who would have ensured Judas would not carry out his betrayal of Jesus. But he did not. He told Judas to do quickly what he intended to do. Later, he will take his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he often went and where Judas knew he would go. As we will also see, Jesus will put up no defense when he is accused of blasphemy before the Sanhedrin court. In short, Jesus' Jesus' actions could not be more intentional than they were. As he said, he will lay down his life. No one takes it from him. We continue now with verses 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. As soon as Judas leaves the room, the atmosphere changes. Jesus addresses the remaining disciples as little children. The only time in John's gospel that Jesus does this, it must have made an impression on John, because in his first letter, 1 John, he uses the term seven times. Jesus' first words to the disciples here also show how different the kingdom of God is. Jesus says the Son of God is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Normally one thinks of receiving high praise and adulation when a person is receiving glory. Basically along the lines of what happened on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, however, he is squarely faced with two two humiliating legal proceedings with brutal beatings, and finally with crucifixion on a Roman cross. Jesus is letting his disciples know that true honor and glory in the Father's kingdom come from sacrifice. And he's letting them know that that now, before these events occur. Jesus also gives the disciples a new commandment. They must love one another just as Jesus has loved them. How is that? He has loved them sacrificially. They don't yet understand the extent of the sacrifice Jesus must make, but they will soon know. And, Jesus adds, the mark that identifies you as my disciples will be that you love one another. They must have taken Jesus' words to heart because the comment many people, even non-believers, made about Christians in the early days of the church was that it was remarkable how much they loved one another. We also see Peter being bothered by Jesus saying once again that where he was going they couldn't follow now, but would follow later. This doesn't satisfy Peter, and he asks why he can't follow him now. He's ready to go anywhere to follow Jesus, and he even says he is ready to lay down his life for Jesus. We have every reason to believe that Peter meant it 100% when he said this, but Jesus foresees what lies ahead. Jesus also gives the disciples a new commandment. They must love one another just as Jesus has loved them. How is that? He has loved them sacrificially. They don't yet understand the extent of the sacrifice Jesus must make, but they will soon know. And Jesus adds, "...the mark that identifies you as my disciples will be that you love one another." They must have taken Jesus' words to heart because the comment many people, even non-believers, made about Christians in the early days of the church was that it was remarkable how much they loved one another. We also see Peter being bothered by Jesus saying once again that where he was going they couldn't follow now, but would follow later. This doesn't satisfy Peter, and he asks why he can't follow him now. He's ready to go anywhere to follow Jesus and says he is even ready to lay down his life for Jesus. We have every reason to believe that Peter meant it 100% when he said this. But Jesus foresees what lies ahead, not only for himself, but also for his followers, including Peter. He knows Peter will be so shaken by the events to come that he will even deny he is a follower of Jesus, not once, but three times. Peter is ready to prove Jesus wrong, but Jesus' statement was prophetic. And Peter, the impetuous one who professes he is ready to follow Jesus anywhere, will deny he even knows his Lord when the time of trial begins. We'll pick up with the next lesson in chapter 14.